I've always been a big fan of public toilets. They're the only place you can escape to for some quiet time when you're out with friends. I use the toilets in bars and restaurants as my own personal breathing space. I'm coming, I'll be out now in a minute. My name is Polly, and don't worry, this isn't a documentary about weird toilet fantasies. Let me explain. Since I've been old enough to talk, I've been asked the same question. Why are you so quiet? My answer has always been, I just am. But this has never satisfied the person asking the question. They've always strived to find ways to fix me. Maybe you should join a drama class. Have you tried an assertiveness course? You just need to come out of your shell a little bit more. As much as I appreciate these snippets of unsolicited advice, which, of course, I really do, I've endured at least 20 years of it at this stage. And I'm not sure I can stand another 20 or more. I'm also past the point of growing out of it, which my teachers hoped I would. And it's definitely not just the phase. But I'm an adult now, so I've decided to deal with the issue that has plagued me my whole life. I'll let you in on how in just a minute. But first, let me give you more of an idea of what it is. What is an introvert really? An introvert is somebody who is actually defined as low on extroversion. That's Dr. Eva Doherty, who's a psychologist. And this is Heidi Kasevich, an educator specialising in introversion. Introversion has to do with your sensitivity to stimulation, your preference for quiet and reduced stimulation over excitement, and your preference for deep thinking over quick thinking. I often ask people to think, you know, what if they put the key in the front door and there's nobody there? Do they feel disappointed or do they feel happy? An introvert is going to feel happy. They're the scientific experts. But what about the other experts on being quiet? Introverts themselves. Tonight, join your host, Pauline Dunn, for the game show just for quiet people. Introvert Bingo. Do you feel quickly drained when in a large crowd of people? Oh, yes. I like going to the odd concert and stuff, but it wouldn't be my favourite thing to do. I like libraries, that probably best sums that question up. Do you rush decisions? I've been looking online at sofas for the last three weeks. And then we went to the shop and we spent two hours looking at the different types of sofa. Does too much exposure to light or noise leave you feeling drained? I was at a stag a couple of weeks ago. I had a great time and in between the daytime activity and nighttime activity, we went back to our rooms to shower and stuff. I just, just sat there, enjoyed the silence just for like 10 minutes. And then I was grand for the rest of the night again, but you just need that little moment where you don't feel like anybody's expecting anything of you in a social sense. Right, well, I think that means you're definitely an introvert. That's probably 100% <laughs> or something, is it? I would also like to note that introversion is something you're born with. It's not something you pick up from the people around you. But the idea that it's not a good way to be definitely is. 
I hadn't realised this until I read Susan Cain's book Quiet. Reading this book was also the first time being quiet was ever presented to me as a positive thing. The full title is Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. And if you haven't read it yet, I highly recommend you do. For one thing, it's full of fascinating facts about introverts, like that one about being born with our brains wired a certain way. But beyond the facts, Quiet is a book that takes introverts seriously and celebrates what we bring to the world. Quiet is set in America, a place where the extrovert ideal has really taken hold. But as they say, when America sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold. And there is definitely a sense of this ideal in Ireland as well. So I've decided to talk to introverts here in Ireland about their lives. If we were in charge, everybody would be allowed to have quiet time and not feel bad about it. I'm also going to set myself a task that goes very much against my introvert tendencies. I'm doing it because I feel obliged, as a quiet person, to spread the message that we aren't of any less value than our extrovert counterparts. Why are you so quiet? I'm 29 now, and I really wish someone had told me this as often as they told me to speak up when I was four years old. Thank you, it wasn't until I started school that my quiet personality was seen as a problem. I remember one day my teacher got me to read something out in front of the class and I wasn't reading it loud enough and she just went mad at me. She shouted the head off me in front of everybody and I was mortified and I was like, right, I'm never speaking again if this is what happens when I talk. So like, I think she had, maybe she had just had it up to her ears of not being able to hear me, (laughs) which I know is probably annoying as well. But she wasn't helping by shouting at me. It wasn't going to help. And I went home and told my ma. My attitude at the moment was, well, if she was causing trouble, you'd be given out. And you were all right. Like, there was nothing wrong with you. You know, you just were quietly spoken. That was it. You were confident every other way. And she went into the teacher and gave out to her. So she never said anything again. Can you read that? Pony needs, needs to project her voice a little more and she can be difficult to hear. Every report card I got, it's always... Pony is very quiet in the classroom. She needs to be encouraged to contribute <laughs> orally a little bit more. And I always got good grades and everything, but there's always that Polly is too quiet thing at the end. It's kind of overrode everything else. Didn't matter about anything else because... I was too quiet. Ponin is a great worker and always does her best. Ponin is very sensitive, is it? And can be very quiet in class. You're a bit like your father. Your father was always... Your father was always... Um, he wouldn't be like me. Yeah, I'd always been perceived as being quiet, but I never really considered myself all that quiet. Just sort of... Just the way... Just the way I am. In, in large groups, I'd find it difficult to, to stand up and uh, ask questions in case, probably just fear of asking stupid questions because there's generally enough people to do that. <laughs> it's not that they matter. <laughs> <laughs> the quiet book I was telling you about has led to a whole movement for introverts in America. It's called The Quiet Revolution. 
big part of their work is teaching us and the people around us how to work with our personalities rather than against them. However, and this might seem like the complete opposite, but hear me out, they also suggest that we push ourselves outside our comfort zones, on occasion, for two reasons. One is love, and the other is professionalism. Okay, so I'm sitting outside playing a club. So, for professional reasons, with a recorder in my hand, I find myself sitting outside the local ga club, making an audio diary of something I had never willingly made any real attempt to do before. Learning how to speak up. I'm about to go into the Toastmasters Club. Toastmasters is an international group that teaches public speaking and leadership skills. And I can't say I'm looking forward to it. I'd much rather be going home to get my dinner and go to bed. This is Pauline. Hello, Pauline. How are you, Maureen? And this is Billy. Billy, how are you? Um, how are you doing? Do we have the big... Everyone was really welcoming. Of us. No, and you're welcome. Right. And you're young and you're good looking and everything. <laughs> you have it all. Yes. yes. <laughs> I have a great bit of crack. The serious uh, side is it does give you great tough yeah. confidence. <laughs> And have, have you seen a big change in yourself from yes. before? Yes. Yeah. i tell you what, when I was a child, I couldn't say my name because I had a stammer. And it's a long way from that. You know There was a good atmosphere and no one was holding a gun to my head, threatening to shoot if I didn't regale them with funny anecdotes from my childhood like I feared. Ladies and gentlemen, our next speaker is Fran Barr. There were speeches, each one lasting an average of five minutes. Tonight I'd like to take you on a journey, if I may, to a land where you can make your own decisions. Then there were speech evaluations, where fellow members discussed the parts when of the speeches that were strong and gave advice on how they could be improved. You researched, you, you gave us some great facts and figures. From, you mentioned some newspapers and you went right back to the So I'm just home from my first Toastmasters meeting. I was thinking about standing up, but I was too scared, so I didn't. But um, next time, next time I will. I will stand up and say something, even if it's rubbish. But um, it was good. And I have to try and remember that because I know when it comes round to the next meeting, I'll be dreading it again. When I finished primary school and was getting ready to start secondary, I made all kinds of promises to myself. For example, I was finally going to be one of the cool kids. I was going to get myself a boyfriend and I was going to be loud. Of course, there wasn't a hope of any of these things actually happening. Deep down, I knew this. But if there's one thing us introverts are good at, it's daydreaming. It didn't matter though, because as unlikely as it seemed, I really enjoyed secondary school, much more than primary. People think you're really innocent because you're quiet. I remember me and my friends are messing down back of the class and I don't know, I think I flicked something across the room and the teacher caught me and he couldn't believe it. He was like, Pauline, I never thought you would do this. But you just don't get caught as often. That's why people think you're innocent. You're quiet about it. <laughs> it's Saturday morning and I've just come for a walk down the canal. I'm out walking near my home in the Kildare countryside, down by Digby Bridge in Prosperous. 
There are a few blow-ins from Dublin around here these days who don't seem to understand that you're supposed to say hello to anyone you pass, even if you don't know them. But they'll learn. It's always really nice and peaceful. There is no such thing as being anonymous in a small village. And despite what you'd imagine, that's not a problem for introverts. It's not the talking to people that we don't like. It's the talking to lots of different new people that's the problem. I used to work in the shop in Prosperous. I actually really liked it because the same customers were coming in every day and you kind of get a relationship with them. You just feel like you're part of something then when you're working in the community. I really liked it, working in the shop. Sometimes I get nostalgic about it. But despite my romantic notions of living and working in a small village, like something out of a Maeve Binchy novel, I was still a normal 17-year-old who was excited about getting out somewhere new and starting college. But truth be told, it was also kind of daunting for someone so quiet. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would have been quiet enough. I met Sam Call, an author and introvert who didn't find secondary school comfortable at all. Oh, other people's ease with language, their way of communicating, etc., having fun, that kind of thing. So You were more of an observer than a participator. But for Sam, college was a completely different experience. I joined the Players Dramatical Society and uh, I was in a lot of plays. That was great. Um, automatic camaraderie, even if you don't like the person, you, the play must go on and so you're bound to open up a bit under that influence. Did you find it easier to make friends? Or? Yeah, there were people with the same interest as me, etc. And um, it's also college gives you a false ease. If you wander around, you're bound to meet someone going to the pub or someone going to a house party, etc. You don't have to plan ahead, per se. You don't have to... Because I've always been very bad at contacting people. But that was taken away from you. And it's another little bubble, isn't it? And so okay. that was great. Miss it now. I remember I wanted to do philosophy and theology. <laughs> Um, apparently you don't get a job out of that, so I, I didn't put it down. Um, I think I ended up putting down legal studies because I always wanted to be a magazine editor as well. I work in magazines, but I thought I was too quiet. So I was like, what's the point in even trying? I'll, I'll do legal studies or something. So I just put that down and I went to Waterford and I did legal studies, but I hated it. It just wasn't for me. And I remember one day in college, we had a communications module and he got us to, we had to write like a passage about tea, just lion's tea. And it was anonymous, so I wrote mine and he read them out after and he read out mine just by chance. And he said, whoever wrote this shouldn't be doing legal studies, they should be doing some kind of media course or journalism or something. So I was like, like this. <laughs> so decided that I may make a change and even if I was really bad at it at least I could say I tried and I might enjoy it. So I got on the one year course for journalism and rap minds. But then I remember on the first day of the course we were all in a room together and our tutor told us to chat amongst ourselves. And everyone was kind of shy and awkward because the first day and she said, oh, come on, there's no such thing as a shy journalist. And I remember thinking, oh, crap. What have I done? <laughs> Whatever about education and career, what about the really important things in life? Like finding love. Well, if you were to watch the dating shows on TV, 
the quiet and introverted don't stand a chance. <laughs> Personality is a big thing for me. Someone who's able to laugh, have a bit of crack, have a bit of fun, don't take stuff too serious. <laughs> Very much fun, guys. You know, we were laughing all the way through it. Yeah, I would say she'd be definitely careful material. As long as they're funny, bubbly, happy, won't have the crack. But what does having the crack actually mean? An extrovert's idea of a fun date could be excruciating for an introvert. And it can be especially tough for introvert boys who are expected to put themselves forward and make the first move. <laughs> yeah, this has affected relationships. I was I never had much luck in that field. I'm told too that confidence in it is attractive, etc. And confidence was not something I had, etc. So bleh. But some introverts have just sat back and let love find them. I actually, I've never asked a girl out. My wife asked me out uh, when I was 16 and she was 15. And we're together still 15 years later. And I had one girlfriend before that and she asked me out as well. So I've never asked a girl out. That's how quiet I am. And as an introvert, you can always find a quiet dating location that suits you. First met up at the museum, actually. We had a first in the museum, which is not very common, I heard, but it's actually really cool because you don't have to talk, you can just kind of walk away slowly. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and you, you don't have to like stare at each other all the time. You can look at paintings and pretend that you care and stuff. So it was really, really good. It was one of those really hot days in summer and I had a blow-up boat. So <laughs> me and my friend brought down to the canal and my other friend who was going out with this guy who was friends with Ian. She brought them with her and we met that way. I think we barely talked down the canal, really. He texted me like a few days later, but he was talking around in circles, for it, like just talking for ages, not really going anywhere. So I eventually said, so are you gonna ask me out or, or what? <laughs> and then he did, said, we went out that weekend. Hello? Even if you're not talking romance, introvert-extrovert relationships have extra layers of tension. Oh yeah? And this is especially true for phone calls. After all, one person may love to chat, yeah. while the other might be a big believer in the beauty of a comfortable silence. When you're on the phone, you have to be talking. You can't just sit and enjoy each other's company in silence. You have to come up with something to say. Um, and there isn't always that much to say. Alright, so bye. But just in case you think I'm a total fanatic about being an introvert, I am making the effort to learn how to speak up too. <clears throat> I've stuck with the plan to make a speech at Toastmasters. So I'm back in the car park of Clane Gat Club, hoping that it's dark enough so that no one can see me talking to myself as I make my audio diary. It is the 1st of February, the first day of spring, um, and I'm sitting out in the car waiting to go into my second official Toastmasters meeting. I wasn't worried about it going in, but when the meeting started and they started introducing people and stuff. I'm going to ask Pauline to come up. I did feel my heart start beating a little bit. Pauline? Um, good evening, Toastmasters and fellow guests. Well, Grania reminded me, made me think of the car situation. The weird thing is, um, it was easier nearly than just having a normal conversation because you put your hand up. And they they say, yeah, you can talk. You don't have to, like, fight to, to get yourself into the conversation. You know, you don't have to fight to make yourself heard between a whole lot of louder voices. You get the stage and people have to listen. 
So um, that helps. But at the same time, it's nerve-wracking standing up there in front of everyone. Trying to think of something interesting to say about a topic that's probably not all that interesting. Family. And she was going to drive the car because she didn't want her daughter thinking that when there's a man around that he automatically drives the car. And I kind of feel bad that my topic was given out by Ian, but I'm sure he won't mind. That's one stereotype that I don't mind. Anyway, it was true. My boyfriend infuriates me the most when I'm driving in the car because... He thinks he's great at driving and he thinks I'm terrible, but even though he's the one that's had three car crashes and I haven't had any. <laughs> um, and the way he hangs onto the handlebar as if he's going to die when I'm driving, even though it's fine. Or when I see his foot going for the imaginary breakdown in the passenger seat. Um, yeah, that definitely infuriates me the most. So, But we've come to a an agreement where wherever we're going anywhere he can drive because otherwise there'll be an argument so that's it but anyway I might not have done it eloquently but I did it so that's the main thing that's the first step we'll see how it goes in the next meeting back to the life story I was really enjoying journalism school in Rathmines, doing well in assignments and exams. But this didn't stop the non-believers shaking their heads in a resigned way, muttering, well, at least she has the legal studies to fall back on. And I might have agreed with them about the madness of an introvert going into journalism until I discovered that I wasn't alone. Mark Walsh was in my class, and from what I could see, he was just as quiet as I was. And I'd say to people, oh, I'm studying journalism now, they'd raise their eyebrows and they'd be like, really? Oh, well, that's unexpected. And uh, I'd be like, why? And they'd be like, oh, well, just because, you know, I didn't think that would kind of suit you. And I'd be thinking, okay, I never thought of that, uh, but fair enough. And then uh, it's only then when you kind of start doing journalism and you do the courses and stuff and it's like, what? I have to go interviewing people, talking to people, what? That wasn't part I thought you just write up stuff like from off the top of your head. But uh, apparently not. And you do get used to that. I mean, the first time I'd be going out doing an interview, I was mostly interviewing bands and stuff. And it's kind of, you're going out, you're going backstage at a gig and Twisted Pepper or whatever, and you're talking to these musicians. And it's like, OK, this is kind of not really my scene, but I'm just going to try and embrace it and see if it works. And um, you'd just be interviewing people and it would go OK. And again, because you're just interviewing one person on one, it's not too bad. For print, it's easier interviewing people because even if you were really awkward asking the questions and it was just not enjoyable at all, nobody knows that when it's written down. Yeah, you find a way to make it work, basically, and you can make it suit your personality. So it didn't matter too much if I was shy or quiet and it just kind of mm. worked for me, really. Journalism is one thing, but Mark went into PR, easily one of the chattiest professions. One of Mark's jobs is to accompany clients to interviews in radio or TV stations. Like most introverts, Mark is not one for small talk, which on these occasions, he says, is often an advantage. Yeah, definitely a little bit, because some of them might just like to kind of sit and concentrate on what they're doing, what they're going to say before an interview, go over stuff in their mind and be kind of relaxed. And if there's someone sitting off seat constantly chatting away about something totally random, then it just makes them feel more uncomfortable or gets them on edge. So 
Mark is living proof that introverts can get jobs in the media. And so am I. When I finished college, I worked as a writer in a magazine and on a website, and I worked in TV and radio too. I'll admit that saying that I worked in TV and radio sounds slightly misleading. The jobs I had were behind the scenes stuff, but I loved it, and I never would have found that out had I let other people tell me it wouldn't suit my personality. Having said that, getting those jobs wasn't easy. Not because they were in the media, but because they involved an interview process. I always find I'm always like, I'm going to speak so loud in this interview. And I'm never able because (laughs) apparently your vocal cords get tighter when you're nervous. So thinking on your feet isn't something that would be good at. And I think that's a common thing with introverts. You need time to mull over stuff before you can come up with a good response. And that doesn't serve well in interviews. The best interviews I ever did, I think, were where you go to the place and you meet the person who's going to be interviewing you. They bring you into a room and then they say, OK, I'll be back in a few minutes. I'm just going to go get some stuff. So you have time to settle into the room and then they come back. They go on a spiel about the company for a while and then you start the interview. You need a bit of time to get comfortable in the room even. They're still never great, but they're better. <laughs> Self-promotion doesn't come easy and experts definitely do that. They're good at making things sound good, exaggerating. Even my friend, we go out on a night out and she's like, this is the best night ever. Or if you weren't there, you think you were missing out on fucking something brilliant. But it's never as good as they make it out to be. Like, it's good, but people use the word amazing way too easily these days as well. And it wasn't plain sailing once they actually got the job. Because then they plonk you down in an open plan office and expect you to concentrate. Open plan offices have been around for decades and they're everywhere. Supposedly they allow for a more free exchange of information. But for introverts, this means more interruptions. I met a Norwegian woman living in Dublin who's an introvert and she came up against the difficulties of working in a modern office setting. Like it was a team of six people and we're doing well but we weren't performing on target and my manager had brought in a person to come in and do a personality analysis of all of us and everybody in the team were extroverts apart from me. I was an introvert and she kind of said to me that I work better in different ways. So something simple as, you know, if you send me an email or text message, I'll get back to you straight away. And you'll get better response from me than if you came over to my desk and disturbed me while I'm working. I hate that. I once actually told the CFO that, you know what, I'm actually busy right now, can you please go? Because it's really, I'm in my thought process, I don't like to be disturbed. And then somebody just comes over and say, hey, quick question for you. I'm like, well, can't you say I'm busy? And one guy, especially Andreas, me and him were, you know, we're really fond of each other, but he is a extrovert so I would be sending him an email say hi Andreas can you please look at this no answer and then another day later no can you please look at this and he wouldn't get to me and everything and I'll be and I'll maybe in bypass and say oh did you get me an email yeah yeah yeah, I got your email got your email but he wouldn't do anything about it and it ended up with a really bad environment because he's not doing what I can't do my job because he's not doing what I need him to do and uh, he thinks I'm nagging him with all those emails because for him to receive those emails is you know it's like being pestered. So 
with the analysis and everything that, that she's done, she's trying to identify ways of working that would improve productivity in the team. And she said, well, you know, don't send him an email. Go to his office, whatever. Do you need him to look at something specific? Then take whatever it is, print it out, go to him in front of him, say, Andreas, look at this now. And I said, but no, I don't want to do that. That's really rude. He's like, no, 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 it's not rude. This is what he needs you to do. So I start doing it and it worked. And he didn't find that offensive or annoying because for him, that meant that he could actually get done what he needed to do more quickly. Likewise, whenever he was coming to my desk and start talking about, you know, not relevant stuff, I would be just interrupting him and say, Andreas, sorry, I know it's a pain, but send me an email because I'm just working on something right now. Whatever you say to me now, I will not remember. And he started doing it as well. And we worked so much better together. So, so, so much better together. If open plan working didn't suit introverts, there are changes in the workplace that do. Welcome to Rearing to Go, where RT Junior talks parenting. So screen time, it's a really big worry for parents. We're wondering, are we doing it right? Are we Everyone goes on about how much time we're spending in front of screens. But for a group of people who shy away from face-to-face, screens are great. Just ask Alan Maguire. He works online as the humour editor of a website called headstuff.org. It covers all topics, from music and film to history, science and poetry. He's also the host of the podcast Juvenalia, and all this came about from his success on Twitter. Twitter has like changed my life because you have time to think and you don't have people's faces looking expectantly at you for a response. I'm actually quicker with responses writing than I am talking, even though you'd expect it to be the opposite. I often can think of something straight away and reply, whereas if they said it to me in person, I would just blank. Because there's no pressure. Yeah. You, know, you can edit it if you need to. You can go back, whereas in talking, I tend to just trail off or just make what I think are empathetic sounds, but they're really just grunts. Like, I think I mean like, mm, but it's more like, mm. so. Mm. I think what I do is, I'm definitely better at writing than talking as well. But when I'm talking, I lose confidence in the middle of my story. And then I'm just like, oh, oh, it doesn't matter. Never mind. Yes, that's one thing I do where I talk really fast and start speeding up because I assume everybody's just kind of humoring me. And they're just waiting for me to shut up. So I just kind of get through my story really fast and ruin it. And then the whole point is lost. And yeah, I just kind of rush through things and mumble it just to finish talking as quickly as possible. Whereas I I will write and write and write and write and write and just get everything out that I need to get out. It's not that I'd be super confident about what I've written either, but at least it's there. And And you can be sure that that's what you actually said. And as for my own life story, I'm working in an animation company now, and I still sit in an open plan office. But it's the quietest open plan office you could imagine. And there's only one or two phones between 12 people, because we mostly just use email, and there's no radio humming away in the background. I love it. Oh, my other honey bee, no longer stuck with. But it took a long time and a roundabout route to get here. I sometimes wonder if things could have been different from the start. Could that four-year-old me who found out in school that her quietness was a problem, could she have been treated any differently? Well, there's a group in America who think that she could. They're called the Quiet Schools Network. 
They think that if a school gears itself towards the needs of quiet students, everyone benefits. Heidi Kasovich of The Network. Teachers really need to rethink classroom participation. Instead of participation, think of varied forms of engagement. So build in processing time for your students, for all your students. This is actually good for extroverts too. So if you have a kind of a question or a problem for students to solve or really any, any part of your lesson, you should involve writing. So there's a kind of a built-in pause, which enables students to really gather their thoughts alone. You're giving your introverts what we like to call a long runway before the speaking occurs. And again, research shows that this approach is also really good for extroverts, you know, who might just blurt out <laughs> the first idea that comes to their head, which is not necessarily the best idea. Sort of elevating the notion of quiet or quiet time or just being alone, like taking the stigma away from being alone. Like there's really nothing wrong with it. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful if you could just see someone, you know, in the corner of the cafeteria not socializing with the other kids, and instead of trying to go over as a teacher and, you know, get that kid to join another group, you could actually say, like, are you recharging? <laughs> is that, you know, you're just having your alone time? Probably the answer is going to be yes. And there should be nothing wrong with that. Recharging time. Alone time. Preferring to write rather than talk face to face. Sensitivity to noise and light. I'll admit that on paper, this life of an introvert doesn't sound like much fun. But would any of the introverts I spoke to change their personalities? Um, no, because I've, I know what I'm like as an extrovert. Well, from, from trying to be an extrovert. And I kind of don't, I don't like that person as much. And I think I, I, it's nice to be on your own sometimes and read books and walk around with headphones on. No, not at all. I got the grades that I got, and I got to the point where I am in my career by combining my very outgoing, no fear, with the introvert rate, which is, you know, very highly calculated, very analytic. I know what I'm doing. No, I, I don't think I don't think I'd like to be more outgoing as such. Um, I'm kind of just happy the way. Uh, the way my personality is at the moment, I think if I was more outgoing, uh, I don't think it would really suit me. But there's still one last thing left to do before I can really sit down and enjoy the peace and quiet. I'm sitting outside the Clane Ga Hall waiting to go into the Toastmasters meeting where I'm doing my first speech, my icebreaker speech. I'm wearing a polo neck so that if I go red up to my neck, no one will see it. And I have put some kind of green primer on under my makeup. So that's meant to stop redness, but I doubt it. But I've tried, so I'm just going to ignore the redness thing anyway, because there's nothing I can do about it from here on in. Am I looking forward to doing my speech? I'm looking forward to it being over, and hopefully if I've done a good job, I'll feel good about it. That's what I'm looking forward to. Not particularly looking forward to actually doing it. I know. No, it'll be fine. It'll be great. I'll feel great after it. <laughs> I'm sure. Right, I better go in because I only have five minutes, and apparently if you're doing a speech, you have to get in a bit early. So, here it goes. Nothing. To give her icebreaker... 
and the speech is entitled The Little Mouse in the Corner. Pauline Dunn, The Little Mouse in the Corner. Good evening, Madam Toastmaster, fellow members and guests. Welcome to my icebreaker speech. It says in the manual that I can spend the next four to six minutes talking about pretty much anything I want, so I thought I'd use the opportunity to tell you all a little bit about why I decided to join Toastmasters. First of all, my name is Pauline. I live just down the road in Prosperous. Um, I studied media in college, and I'm currently working in the post-production department of an animation studio in Dublin. Usually when I'm forced to describe myself, there's one thing that comes to mind, and it's probably something you've all noticed already. I'm very quiet. <laughs> I've always been this way, and people have always been very happy to share their observations about my personality. <laughs> if I had a penny for every time someone told me to speak up, that I need to come out of my shell, or my personal favorite, not to be the little mouse in the corner, I would be a very rich woman. In fact, I could probably afford to pay someone to do the talking for me. But I don't, so I'm here, trying to learn the skills that will allow me to clearly and confidently tell those people to stop. Please, just stop. Yes, I am quiet, but don't confuse my lack of conversation as a silent plea for advice on how to not be the little mouse in the corner. I was on Facebook the other day and I saw an inspirational quote. It said... Become the person you needed when you were younger. And usually I would just roll my eyes and keep on scrolling. But that one made me think, who did I need when I was younger? Was it that teacher who constantly told me to speak up and that I shouldn't be so quiet? Or would it have been more beneficial to have had someone who encouraged me to work at the things I showed interest in? And somebody who didn't make me feel like my quiet demeanor would be my greatest downfall? and that if I used it the right way, it could even be a strength. Um, so that's why I'm here, because somebody needs to remind the world that being quiet isn't a problem that needs solving. And in this noisy world that we found ourselves in, I don't think it would do us any harm to stop nagging our quiet children to speak up and not be so quiet, and instead to teach everybody else to stop and listen to the little mouse in the corner. Thank you. Like a test for